Welcome to another episode of Sim Sunday's podcast. We are on episode number 42, and this episode is going to be a little different than pretty much all the other ones we've ever had because this one, it's 2v2. It's Tom <laughs> and Chris from GridFinder versus Tom and John from Traction.gg. This was a very, very fun conversation. Tom, do you read Traction a lot? Because I actually find myself on that site way more yeah. than I'd like to admit. I'm, uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm on there all the time reading stuff. I Yeah, I'm on it a lot. Um, I find their writing to be kind of, it's, it's full of character. It's interesting. Like, you know, it's a person talking, giving you, know you their opinions. You're not reading like a generically formatted review article or, or, right. or some of them so, can feel a bit dull um exactly. but equally they're quite concise like the, the the key points that you want if you want a two minute read comes out quite quickly um so yeah no i'm a big fan i'm a big fan um me as well um and you know after now that we've actually recorded the podcast and talked to them a little bit the the whole portion where you're saying it feels like another person I understand why it feels like another yes. person now after having this conversation because they they do pride themselves in the way that they write and it's very important for them to seem more like a person not just this we are a big corporate news reporting site for sim racing it's very very nice so uh hopefully all of you viewers and listeners enjoy it as much as we did but here is the traction.gg episode enjoy Interestingly, uh, my <laughs> my first experience with Traction.gg is kind of interesting because I was on vacation oh, yeah. with my dad and you guys released this wonderful article that said best sim racing podcasts and Sim Sundays was on the list. Oh, and I was like, oh, my yeah. God, we're featured on a website. So cool. Oh, well, thank happy you. to do that. <laughs> no, no, no problem. Well, thank you very much for servicing the sim racing community with this wonderful podcast. And for yeah. the invite today, we're both very happy to be here. But yeah, we both listen, uh, and some uh, with some other podcasts as well. I must say, oh, of course, and of hence course. why we did uh, the article to uh, help the community find some uh, audio entertainment about their favorite subject. Yeah, and the interesting thing is, is that the one that you did feature on there, the Dave Cam episode, is by far and away our most popular one because that's kind of the. I bet you most people come in through traction because best sim racing podcast they type it into google you are number one and then luckily our podcast is on there so thank you for helping us get that exposure it's pretty cool that's okay i hope it helps out in, a, in some sort of small way but, you know uh, tom you can chime in on this one our idea of a podcast was just one day we're sitting on a discord call similar to the one we're using now and just we go you know we talk a lot about sim racing this could be a podcast right like we could do that that would be fun. Yeah. Is that, do you know what? In a way, it was kind of arrogant. We were there. We were chatting away about sim racing. We were like, you know what? <laughs> the world needs to hear what we're, what we're talking about. <laughs> like, we need to get this out to everyone else. But our podcast has been uh, a guest format. So every single episode, we've had a new guest. Now, this particular episode, I'm kind of excited and terrified because <laughs> – we took a risk when we were like, well, we kind of both want to do it, but we want to have a guest. And now we've got this like two versus one dynamic when we have like usually a single guest. But now we've got two versus two. So this is going to be, this is going to be <laughs> nuts. So I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm just going to jump in here and say, we need some, we have to structure this. Chris, we're going to have to be disciplined. We're going to have to be like right. professional <laughs> broadcasters. So Tom, John, can I ask you both to introduce yourselves to our audience? 
After you, John. Oh, yeah, I was going to say we need we need a structure as well, Tom. You know, if, if we're not, we, <laughs> yeah, you yeah. need to take the lead here or something. You know. we, but yeah, I'll, so we haven't thought this through. Yeah, either way. So I I am uh, John Monroe. So I am a video producer uh, for the Traction.gg YouTube channel primarily. So I'll do play play racing games and talk about them, uh, do some live play style stuff where I'm trying out games for the first time and trying old games, and then also just write stories about them and try and give guides to people as well. So um, yeah, my job. Primarily revolves around the video side of things, um, but then I also will contribute some stuff to the to the wonderful website that Tom and the team have built uh, on Traction.gg, and just try and just try and bring some positivity to the uh, racing game and some racing community. Yeah, nice, very nice, oh, th- beautiful. The thing with John is the thing with John is he's extremely modest, so is <laughs> he does a lot more than that, and is is an extremely hardworking team member. So pleasure to work alongside. I'm crying. Um, oh, look I'm at crying. That. <laughs> <laughs> Tears welling up in your eyes. Thank you so yeah. much. <laughs> well, the, the whole thing is a team effort. I'm sure we'll touch upon that in a bit. But um, anyway, for, from my side, I'm Tom. Um, I'm the editor of the website. And so that is my domain. So every single day, finding, writing, emailing a lot of people, yeah. interviewing lots of people, trying to get the scoops and just creating articles and news for the sim racing and racing game community to see what's going on in the industry what's coming up what's happened yeah also game reviews things like this and that you know, feeds in a bit into the to video side as well you kind of feel like i mean i don't really want to mention one of your competitors but it's a direct comparison in by my all means mind. by all means ign for gaming you guys are kind of like the ign but for motorsport based gaming which is very nice because you know when you get to those websites like IGN, for instance, you you just get a, a, a feed of all kinds of craziness and you're like, I don't know what to read. I don't really want to follow everything they do. But with Traction GG, I like the fact that it's just motorsport stuff. So you can you're looking at sim racing games and pretty much just stuff surrounding racing. And I really like that format of your reviews where it's not like a one to ten scale where you never touch any rating under five. You got the nice, you know, you recommend. I've, I just read it not even a while, That's 10 right. minutes Avoid, ago. Avoid, consider, wish list, or buy now. Those are, <laughs> those are perfect recommendations because, you know, when you go to other review sites, you're like, I don't know what a seven is. What is, what is a seven? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Should I get the game or is it bad? Like, what, where are we at right here? But your nice, clear, concise words that we can be like, oh, they recommend it. Perfect. Yep. Easy. I can go buy it. I mean, there was um, there's a challenge there because people are so used to the 10 or the 100 scale. Mm-hmm. But we thought as a collective to try and do something a little different because over the over the years, a 7 has been sort of seen as like a negative, like you shouldn't yep. buy it. Actually, that would be like a – is that like a, a good score at degree level? Or it'd actually be <laughs> like an A or something in a test? you know. In, in, and yet, in the video game world, it's seen as a negative. So when we do like a, a wish list, we're not saying this is a bad game at all. We're actually saying it's really, really good but you might just not want to spend $80 on day yeah. one. And there's nothing wrong with... When a price of a game changes later on in the sale, it actually technically would change the review score, yet Metacritic is there forever. Yeah, mm. right. So it's just trying to take that into consideration. And that falls into the the full ethos of traction, would you agree, John, in that we're, we're actually we're being critical, but we're trying to make the space grow and be open and welcoming. 
Oh, that's fair. One hundred percent. I think you know from our perspective on the video side as well, we're we're trying to bring like the games to the people and know so they know exactly what to expect from it, but without kind of looking at all the extreme elements and trying to cause drama for the sake of causing drama. So you know we'll play a game. <laughs> Tom's Tom's played a lot of games over the years. He's got a lot of experience, and uh, he generally leads the reviews in terms of the the actual reviewing and playing of the game, and just ge- genuinely gives balanced feedback and and thoughts about it. And the idea is that we don't really want to you know score something as this is definitely better than this or this is worse than this because of this we just kind of want to bring an overall opinion it should you know what what are you going to get out of this game what are the things that we think are good about it and what are the things that we think in future could be done to make it better or could have been done differently um, and just let people make their own decisions about it based on that so we don't want to make direct comparisons i think that's a good way of putting it in terms of you know this one scored 0.5 more mm. than the other right right yeah and also that leads to like you mentioned there john uh it, 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 i've been inspired yeah no it leads to um yeah, where if you did have a score, let's imagine if we reviewed iRacing against Assetto Corsa Competizione. Okay, we'd get a load of traffic from that because the comments would be insane. But yeah, right. we can leave that to other forums that are already out there for the Flame Wars. Um, <laughs> the Flame why... Wars, I love it. <laughs> yeah, right. So if we put, give a, this, a similar game in the similar genre both a wishlist score, you have to read the words as well for a deeper understanding as to what's the pros and cons and formula That's pretty smart. from that. So we're trying to re-emphasize the justification. And also understand that it is just one person's opinion at the end of the day. That's interesting you say that because if I'm honest, when I go to IGN to like look at a game that I'm interested in buying, I almost always scroll to the number first and then decide if I'm going to read it based on the number. So if it's like a six, Mm. I'm like probably not going to read that that whole article. I'll just keep on moving. But interesting you say if if you say wish list, you kind of have to read the words to understand why the recommendation is there. It's not just a pure, oh, that game's great. Better go buy it. That's the theory. And we understand right. that we might be losing a lot of traffic <laughs> for that because people, it, it's, it's different well, to understand. But sure. that's what we're, we're standing by for the time being anyway. I also yeah, think there's a, a huge format. benefit for indie games here. Uh, here. So, yeah. you know, because a lot of indie games, when they've only got, you know, maybe four or five staff, a couple of programmers, a couple of artists, and then, you know, the, the, the guy or girl that does the emails, like, you know, it's, they're not going to be able to compete with like Kunos or Turn 10. So if you were to put it just as a straight score from one to 10, they're not gonna they're not gonna mm. be able to compete whereas if it's just a yeah, bracket of like you should try this game this is a cool game yeah. and it's like 15 pounds on steam and it's a lot of yeah. fun you can probably complete the whole thing in like a weekend but you'll really enjoy it and you'll probably go back to it over the years like you, you kind yeah. of allow for that sort of expression that that's a really good point actually i think as well because you know you you're looking at a, t- a game like forza horizon or gran turismo and they've got massive massive <laughs> teams behind the massive budget you can still think you know relatively the game's not as good as it should have been or maybe you know it is as good as it should have been but it's always going to be a high score because it's a big huge project and it's a lot of money to buy but you, you you can't really give it anything other than a high score when you compare it to indie games with four or five people that have done something that's clearly not as big an experience but actually within its own rights it's a fantastically designed game and within the confines of what they had they've done an amazing job so yeah i think you're right i think it's it's difficult because they're never going to be able to score necessarily as high as some of these major games while at the same time you might think they've actually done a better job with what they've got of of making something Mm. that people can get behind and it also applies when you're you know you're comparing games across different genres whether it's a a really hardcore sim or something that's you know fun to pick up on a controller and play with chase cam because these things have different goals in mind so i definitely (laughs) think it's more important to read the words and see what people actually think of the game and where they've gone well and why you might want to buy it rather than just looking at what scores higher than something else i completely agree and i think a lot of these indie games have a lot more character because you have such a small team you five to seven people five to ten people whatever it is they inherently will have more ownership 
or sense of ownership over that game and therefore inject more of their passion into it. I was lucky enough to, um, I just got back from uh, the Game Developers Conference in San Francisco and um, went out and uh, met up with um, Carolina Mastretta, who is the founder of the studio that brought us Circuit, Circuit Superstars. Superstars. And yes. we had a fantastic conversation for a, a few hours talking about Circuit Superstars and sim racing generally and you know what's coming in the future. Um, but we'll leave that for uh, another podcast with her. Um, and it was crazy. <laughs> no, I'm looking forward because, to listen to it. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it, it was it was nuts. It was such a great conversation. Um, but she told me that there's five full time people in her studio. Five, yeah. like that is that is nuts. And but when they um, when they were publishing um, Circuit Superstars, they they brought on two two additional uh, temporary um, staff, mm. and then went back down to five once it was was out. But, you know, it's three brothers and sisters, right? And they love racing games. And the game that they brought out has so much kind it's of... It's so much fun. Character. It's joyful. It's joyful. <laughs> it's joyful. Yeah. It's absolutely beautiful. So it's... and it's. But, you know, if you put it up against Gran Turismo on, a sl- on some kind of like arbitrary... Anyway, we've covered that point. I think we're all, yeah. We're yeah, all yeah. here <laughs> having this conversation right now because we're on the same page. But I'm going to ban my yeah. gavel again because... I've got something, a question, I want to, I want to go through the journey that we, we often go through, which I always think is interesting, okay. which is the, how did you guys get here? Because when I asked you to introduce yourselves, you both described possibly the best jobs ever. If you're a sim racer, <laughs> a sim racing fan, you're like, oh yeah, so I spend all day like writing about games. Like, oh yeah, I basically play games and mm. do videos on, on, on racing games. And just, you know, I'm just an expert in, in kind of how to, how to judge, like, how the hell did you get to this point? So let Tom yeah. and then John, like. What were you doing okay. beforehand? How did you land this dream? Well, John's story is a lot more interesting, but uh, we'll <laughs> hold on for that. We'll save the best. Yeah, we'll yeah, save yeah. the best to that. No, um, I've I worked and studied in marketing and PR uh, for a decade, and I worked at really good companies that I enjoyed working at, writing about automotive things, and in my spare time, I wrote about video games. So. Sometime during university, it's getting many, many years ago now, I'm quite old, 15 years ago or something, um, <laughs> there was a website called the6axis.com, which still exists. And it's a primarily started as a general gaming website covering PlayStation news, but it covers everything these days. So it's like an IGN, but on a smaller scale, sure. based in the UK. So it covers everything. And so I wrote on and off news stories, stayed up late doing E3 to cover what's going on in the world of general games. But my passion since I was being very young, since watching Formula One with my dad, usual story, uh, is motorsport and cars. I'm actually a car nerd first, first and foremost. Okay. And so then when I was working in marketing and PR, that's a lot of writing, a lot of content marketing, a lot of writing stories that are maybe ghost written for industry publications, let's say, or localized into German about 3D printing on a Toyota Le Mans car, stuff like this. <laughs> so it's not stuff that's Immediately engrossing, you would never necessarily find it, but it, it helped me develop this ability and passion for writing. And then with the Six Axis, I just did purely their racing game reviews for a number of years. And then I saw this opportunity come up on Motorsport Jobs, which is a website for motorsport recruitment. Yep. Applied, went through the interview process, and that was what became Traction. So right in before it launched, I was there writing a load of articles with a colleague so we could have something before the website would launch. Right. Um, but the, the key thing to mention before, that's a lot of hot air, John, apologies. Uh, <laughs> we move on, is that it is a dream job. This is absolutely my dream dream job, to, to play games all day is what people think. But the, the number one passion has to be, in my role, 
to enjoy the writing and the words. Sure. And the, and the words at the end of the day are what will come through and, you know, create a, not a legacy, but create our reputation. So it's a love of words first, and then it's a love of cars, automotive, and um, video games. Not to not to to kind of derail this before we get to John because John and we do want to hear your story, but just because you've just made such a point of saying it's all about the words, is there any mm. fear right now about ChatGPT coming in and, and being able to say, right, ChatGPT, <laughs> yeah, write, absolutely, write me an article about Circuit Superstars and why it, yeah. people should support it because it's an indie game and mention the flair of the producer, like blah blah blah, and then just hit go and it's just done and you just you do ten of those a day. My, my career is over. It's yeah, forget it. <laughs> I was, ex- I was uh, expecting that. I was yeah, like, yeah, no, nah, no. absolutely not. <laughs> I think it will be like one of these things where it will it will work in parallel and actually make mine and other journalists' jobs easier. So, you know, we have to write guides or news stories to get enough traffic to pay the bills, and ChatGPT might be able to assist with some of the more mundane ones. Yeah, that, that help on Google search engines, but in order to interview someone and get their opinion or get a new story before anyone else, it can't do that. And also it has to have some basis of information. Someone has to write something first before it can know about certain superstars. So if we're in the game of getting things under embargo, uh, you know, and making those contacts before something's announced, then it it has to borrow from me. So we're feeding chat. It's not. Well well said actually, because, uh, that's something that a lot of these people who are talking about the AI generation of articles and just content in general that they're not really thinking about. So like art is also getting a lot of uh, problems with AI generated art, but AI generated art or AI generated words have to come from somewhere. And that somewhere is going to originate with the original creators mm. still. Yeah. Well yeah. So I'm, I'm looking forward to it. And I think if it makes my life easier, then fantastic. Yeah, right. <laughs> that feels like a really healthy approach to this, as opposed to like, oh my god, oh my god, yeah. oh my god. Tom is my AI chat function. If I need something, I'm like, Tom, write me something about this. Tell me about this. And he's just he just goes and does it in the videos. Tom GPT. Yeah. <laughs> so John, why don't you tell us about your your story and how you got all the way up to traction, GG? There's quite a lot of parallels because I've I've not actually heard Tom's okay. origin story in the same way, so it's quite interesting. But there are there are a few parallels, especially later on. But um, I'd say like if Tom's passion is cars initially, mine is motorsport. So I've always been huge on on motorsport in all forms. So when I was younger, you know, I used to go home from school and I'd I'd be the one that would sit on I think it was Google Video at the time and watch like 1989 Paul Ricard Grand Prix and your part one out of four okay. and all the 10 minute segments. You know, I I've always been motorsport crazy. Um, my dad uh, competed in the and still does compete in the Scottish Hill Climb and Sprint Championship in a single seater. So wow. that was kind okay. of my entry to motorsport, not circuit racing. As you all know it but it was my entry to paddocks and loud noises and race cars and, and everything <laughs> like that so and i used to want to be a commentator actually so i used to love listening to old murray oh. walker stuff and i'd sit in my bedroom at six and pretend to be murray walker really embarrassing but um that was that was kind of my thing at, the, at first we've all done it we've, uh, hopefully or, or we'll pretend to have done it to make me feel better that's fine as well um so so that you know inevitably led to well in the north of scotland because i'm from the highlands and um, there aren't many racetracks not kills the, the closest racetrack it's four and a half hours south of where i'm from so sorry knock hill you, is four and a half hours south correct of where yes. you are yeah 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 so I'm <laughs> you live in the right sea? um <laughs> very close to it yeah I'm, I'm about an hour and a half from the very top to like john o'groat and thurzo and stuff like that forget how big um, it is 
Yeah, it's it's very long. There's just not as much stuff. It's it's very uh, down. What's the, what's the word I'm looking for? It's very weighted at the bottom. Put it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so so because my dad had been around that environment, I think that's probably where a lot of the passion came from. But I was probably more into watching motorsport than he was because I had more spare time on my hands when I was six or seven years old. Um, naturally, yeah. that led to computer games, playing Toka Touring Cars 2 on the on the PC and then Gran Turismo 4 on the PlayStation. And I was just mad about racing games because that was my way in. But then when I was 16, I, I was able to be old enough to get a race license. So I started uh, competing as well in the Scottish Sprint and Hill Climb Championship uh, when I was 16 and had a lot of success, uh, managed to win the championship in the first year, the top 10 championship and become the youngest person to, to do it and the youngest person to win an event on debut and all these kind of things. So wow, wow. it was all it was all very positive. And, and then I was like, maybe I could be a racing driver. You know, how does this work? So well, yeah. we, you win something and you're yeah. like, well, let's see. Let's see if I can make a career out of this. And um, yeah. and uh, so so we basically put a lot of effort into, into trying to do that. So I went down south and started circuit racing. Very long drives, driving to Silverstone and Brands Hatch for each round oh from, from four and a half hours north of Knockhill. But uh, we, we made it work uh, alongside school. So I was competing in uh, Mazda MX-5 single make racing. Uh, and I managed to win Max 5 Championship in 2016. But sadly, as the, the usual racing story goes, you don't need to mm. say it, but budget problems and, and yeah, basically you realize that a career is not a viable option unless you're a factory works driver in endurance that started off with a big pot of money or you're just that talented. And I'm, I'm good, but I'm not that good where I can you know make it work. <laughs> so quite quickly realized that's not a viable career option, um, but I'll try and keep it going as a hobby and I want to work in that kind of industry. So I did media at university in Glasgow, got a job working at a simulator center in Glasgow, uh, doing VR, VR sim racing for everyone, having a bit of fun there. And then I, I actually knew a few folk at Traction uh, before Traction even existed. I did exactly the same as Tom. I was on motorsport jobs um, and I saw this this project coming up and I, I knew someone who was involved and I spoke to them and just said, listen, I, I don't have any many skills yet. I've not I've never had a full time job. I'm just out of uni, but I, I'd like to work in the media. I love motorsport. Is there any room for me? Can I make everyone's tea and coffee and and get involved, get my foot in the door with this because <laughs> I have a lot of passion, even if I don't have yet the experience and skills. Uh, and they said yes. So so I like Tom, I found myself finding out about traction a, a good few months before it launched and then uh, basically learning on the job how to make videos and everything. So That's I think amazing. as it goes for a first full time job, it's it, I'm incredibly lucky. Um, and a lot of the skills I've, I've learned from doing traction, I've been able to build and grow with the brand, which has been amazing. So as traction has continued to grow, I've also improved my video making and writing and presenting of course um and that that that's pretty much it it's just been a, a strange mixture of real racing and online gaming and sim racing which is which has led to here i wouldn't call that a strange mixture i'd, I'd call that an amazing mixture because like <laughs> you know i'm kind of the same way where you said you're a fan of motorsport not necessarily a car guy i'm kind of the same so when when i'm racing in games i'm not like picking i racing because i want to race this one single car I pick up all of them, which is very expensive in the end because, you know, <laughs> iRacing. But but it's like I just want to experience all the cars and all the tracks and all the games and everything. doesn't matter if it's Simcade or Simulation because, you know, you, you have that debate don't, going on. Don't but do it. I just I love sim racing in motorsport and the the overall idea in motorsport that you don't have to get first. Mm. You just have to be better than your last race. Yeah. to be continually improving and i love that it's just it's almost like this this fight with myself to win 
versus myself and maybe a couple of others in there if you know i find a rival at some point <laughs> well that, that's the amazing thing about sprinting and hill climbing because you're not ever racing against people on circuit it's a bit like think of it like a, a tarmac rallying in single yeah, like seaters rally, yeah. and, and there's lots of different classes so you're never necessarily in the fastest car in the field some people in your class might have a more expensive car or a lower power or more power you're, you're always fighting against your own personal best because it's essentially a qualifying right. run each time you know and you, you're doing the same tracks unlike rallying where you're doing 20 different stages you're maybe doing four attempts at this one stage to get the best possible time so That's you do a lot cool, of yeah. competing against mm. yourself and improving and then obviously that that leads on to circuit racing but you know it, it's it's interesting as i've gotten older i have to say even though motorsport and the competition has been something i've loved i've i've become more and more um emotionally attached to cars as a thing so i i've never been very mechanically minded like i am rubbish <laughs> at helping out uh you know i would never be able to take an engine to bits or put it together and someone asked me for a tool i'm oh, like youtube can now, you maybe. can you show me know. well i'm using i'm using youtube <laughs> all the time to help me um so i've never been that side of motorsport interested i've never been engineering focused i've always been media focused so i like talking about okay. it and analyzing it and, and stuff like that but over the years i have to say my passion for cars has definitely grown so i now fall into the category of i hear a sound and i'm oh is that is that this particular car from 1991 oh, okay. and I, I love a car because of because of the emotions that it evokes and stuff so i'm definitely going more that route now i have to say as i get older um but i don't actually know sure. how any of it works i don't know how, don't know how the car was put together in the first place <laughs> yeah i, I similar experience over here um i pay other people to fix my car i'm like I, don't, I got nothing on that so interestingly both of you went to motorsport jobs and got your position with traction so something that's really cool about sim racing is yes it's been around for years like a really long time since i was early teens right but it's really just starting to kind of gain a foothold and really starting to grow at what i would consider to be an exponential rate so a really cool opportunity is happening within a budding industry like this is you don't have to have the perfect degree, the perfect resume, the perfect, you know, work history in order to get into motorsports in general in the sim racing levels. That's that's pretty exciting if you really think about it for those people who are like, oh, I, I've always wanted to be a commentator. We'll just take that from you, John, because I had the similar thing. And Mr. Tom over here introduced me to a bunch of people at Sim Racing Expo 2022. I casually mentioned that I wanted to be a commentator and now I do sim racing commentary like once a week. So John, if you want to do some sim racing commentary, I'll pull you in with me. Well, it's, it, it, just a comment on that, actually. I kind of didn't really mention this amongst the story because it's a long story, but I did start doing proper sim racing probably about 2013. So racing in like the touring okay. pro series and stuff. And I was still wanted to be a commentator. And within, I think probably eight months of me doing it, and I was only like 14 or 15 years old at the time. I, I got the opportunity to do commentary on, on the broadcast as well because it was less That's serious fun. at the time, less developed. There was more room for people to come in and give it a mm. try. And if you weren't very good, it didn't really matter. It was all a bit of fun really anyway. Um, yeah. So now I'm really embarrassed to go back and listen to you know me midway through my voice breaking doing commentary. <laughs> but it, it's changed so much now. You've got lots of people who are well-practiced, professional at the commentary that go about it through sim racing and can translate yeah. that to the real world as well. I mean, I've now done real world commentary and sim racing commentary all because... I got an opportunity when I was 14 or 15 just because I fancied it. And now it's become it's, such a big thing. I also find I, I'm it I'm always very... inspired by the George Morgan story where he, he started because he was rubbish at racing. And I'm saying rubbish. Thanks, Tom. He's rubbish, rubbish at racing. So he decided that with his group of friends, he's going to commentate on top of the races instead. And as you may know, George Morgan's actually commentated on F1 in his career. So it's like, how can that happen? How can, how can you actually get to 
he he went to Monaco in like the helicopter and everything. Like, how does how does that happen from sim racing? Right. That's that's absolutely incredible. Tom, sorry I interrupted you for that no, little offshoot. I was I was just going to say I I really uh, I found it very refreshing, John, when you said that your uh, the first games that you played were Toka Two and Gran Turismo Four. I find that there is like a subculture within sim racing who almost like compete to be like. Oh yeah, well I've been doing it since uh, you know Grand Prix oh, Legends yeah, but... or oh no I was doing it since Edson Senna's Super Monaco Grand Prix. It's like the you know, and there's like, oh well I actually you. had this racing game on my abacus before computers <laughs> were even invented, and it just like Match continually Fox. goes back, and it's like this competition like who played the first game on their like Commodore 64 or whatever like so and it can't be on a normal console. It's- you know, right, right. absolutely not. You've got no sim racing credits if it's not Grand Prix Legends. Yeah, you have to have been right. driving with A and D, or I'm not interested. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, on that same vein, uh, Tom, tell us about your sim racing journey. When did that start? What were your first games? And if, if it was well, and Senna Super Monaco Grand Prix, <laughs> then so <laughs> now you mention it. <laughs> no, oh yeah, I'm going to be one of those nerds though. No, it was um, really properly. It was. Tocker 2 as well, at the same time as Colin McCurry Rally, which was mm. in a bundle deal with an original PlayStation for my nice. 10th birthday. So that's oh, okay. what really got me into it. Fantastic. But before then, I did have uh, my parents had a PC with the Network Q RAC Rally, which for those who don't know, is the it's, it used to be a round of the World Rally Championship um, in the UK, and it had its own dedicated game on PC. There was two of them. I had the second one, so I think it was 1996. And again, just it didn't use a key, even a keyboard. It was a joystick, which is not correct, nice. but that's the equipment we have. <laughs> that that got me into it a little bit. But the first one really was was uh, Toka and Comic Cray. There was also uh, had a, a Nigel Mansell game on the Game Boy, I think, but it wasn't very good. So, well, any sim racing game on a Game Boy feels yes. like it would be kind of suspect. <laughs> like, I don't know about that. Yeah, one. yeah. So to to put it out there and get some of the hardcore sim racing nerd credits so to speak yes oh, i yeah. played this network qic rally game uh but the the uh, then with the playstation you know would get have a paper round and saturday jobs and evening jobs and instead of saving up for something serious i would go to my local what's called computer exchange here in the uk buy lots of used playstation games and it it all came about through actually the console side before pc and I mm-hmm. think actually that's many, many people's in the wider racing game space and racing space is journey. And I think sometimes, I don't want to speak out of turn, there is an elitism that, oh, if you weren't on PC, it's not good enough. But I, we at Traction disagree with that wholly. We're completely open to everything. And we don't forget when we were 10 years old and didn't have the money to buy our own equipment. Right, you get what you're right. given from Santa. And um, <laughs> it's fantastic. It's fantastic. So yeah, it all came about through... That original PlayStation couldn't get enough of the touring cars or the rally games. Very, very nice. I remember the old PlayStation, like the it wasn't even the Dual Shock. I guess it was just the PlayStation controller. Yeah, before they put analog sticks was, on it. Yeah, mm. before analog sticks, and you're playing Gran Turismo, and you're just like tapping tapping the directions <laughs> yeah. as fast as you can so that you yeah. kind of turn instead of it's, having analog. Those were the days. Even old Gran, Gran Turismo Four is actually easier to control with with arrows than analog i still do that out of, you know oh, really? i find it is, oh, well. yeah, definitely something i'm more used to from well, there growing are up some, as well i guess there would be like assists yeah that help you through the corners because it's like well you don't really have the input method to be able to really steer 
So it's going to be doing a little bit of extra for you. And just, the, you know, it's an interesting thing because most of the time or a lot of the time, some sim racers will forget the fact that it's supposed to be fun and not yeah. supposed to be like the hardest oh, thing you've ever 100%. done or like it doesn't have to be as real as possible. And And funny comment about that is a lot of sim racers have never been in a race car. So they're like, oh, it's so this that game's less real than this game. And you're like, well, you've never actually been in like an f1 car like come on how do you know <laughs> well i don't want to speak for you john but you have been in some several racing cars so he's he's well, got a good true. idea but he's actually yeah he's a good <laughs> he's a good meter for realism because he's actually but, done it but as a general rule we believe that the serious stuff we do cover that with integrity and looking for realism and if it's uh, in line with your real world expectations but we mm -hmm. also believe that the more casual games can coexist and we can still enjoy those like there's there's nothing wrong with uh playing Seto Corsa mods all weekend or being in a an iRacing uh, series or competing in the Bathurst 12-hour. And then, I don't know, sometimes you're just a bit tired and you just want to play Formula Retro Racing World Tour with a controller on an Xbox. Right. So we're, we're completely open to that. And I think that's one of the key things. You you rather, uh, it was rather kind of you to say IGN is a rival because I would love to reach their traffic numbers. Oh. But, uh, <laughs> but obviously there are sim racing outlets in our immediacy. And we like to think our differentiator is, yeah, first of all, focusing on the words as the number one thing. But second of all, we do cover the odd game that's on Switch and on yeah. mobile because there is a younger audience and we want to try and make sim racing grow. And to do that, we have to try and make it a bit more accepting and welcoming. So that's the idea. Oh, you don't, definitely. You don't definitely. get sim racing games in cereal boxes anymore. I don't know if any of you guys remember Frosty's Grand Prix back in the day, but this is like this was a hardcore sim that you get in a cereal box. But, but uh, tell me just, about the tire model. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, exactly. I, I, I totally agree with Tom. Like, I, I did a lot of sim racing, especially I started picked up again big time during lockdown, which is kind of what led to the the whole thing with traction. But you know, for me, I'm a sim racer. I come from a real racing background. But when I get home from work, most of the time, if I want to play a racing game, it's going to be Circuit Superstars or of Rally or Forza Horizon. Yeah. With you know, and it just doesn't matter. I'd rather sit on the sofa, comfy with a controller, and I can have a really, really good time and enjoy the physics for what it is, rather than needing to spend half an hour setting up the sim and making sure the force feedback all correct and like there, there's yeah. definitely space for both and i think a lot of people forget that sometimes and and judge one or the other and it has to be better than this or worse than this but actually you can love both it's absolutely fine there's nothing wrong with it if you're having fun and you're able to race with your friends or just enjoy a single player experience you know, why the heck not do you think yeah, forza horizon is one of the, the my guilty i can't even say guilty pleasure anymore but it's just one of those games where like i have some of the best memorable moments in sim racing from that game because you know they put you up against like a hovercraft and you have to race through the mountains for no reason you're like this is so unrealistic but it's just fun because you're crossing over jumping over the thing and just having a, an all-out good time rather than like eye racing where i'm like oh i can't catch this guy in front of me or oh my lap time is is bad because i'm messing up turn two or whatever it may be you know just relaxing and playing sim racing is something that's just kind of missed a lot of the time in the in the conversation surrounding sim racing yeah, it definitely is, and Forza Horizon is a is a great example because it it really is a video game. It's almost like an RPG in some ways, but then it just happens to have mm. lots of cars. But you're yeah. unlocking accolades, you're unlocking achievements. You want to find those hidden things. You're going to find this other hidden thing. You're going to do a tune. You're going to share it online with someone else. You're going to look at liveries. That's sort of the appeal to it. It has this really engaging reward loop, which is engrossing, and we, you know. I don't want to reveal so many industry secrets, not that we have any, but <laughs> we cover yeah, Fort Horizon a lot. Talk. 
No, no, we have we cover Forza Horizon a lot because we we love it and we have team members who are deeply passionate about it first and foremost. But then we also right. know that because it was on Game Pass with a one dollar trial, it's a massive, massive audience. And so yeah, that, and for a website trying to gain some audience, yeah, that that makes absolutely. a lot of sense. Of course. But then if we if we someone comes to us and and hears about us and visits our website uh, because they want to try and find this hidden treasure hunt chest in a Forza yeah. Horizon Five festival playlist. But then the related article or clicking around is something about, oh, how to gain licenses licenses in iRacing. And they're like, oh, what's this? Or there's a video where it's John talking about, oh, the new Assetto Corsa Competizione track guide. Then yep. uh, we that's that's our role in life, basically. You see, so what you're saying is that you're essentially the gateway drug for sim racing. We're trying. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> yes. That should be a slogan on the website. I like that. <laughs> yeah. gateway drug the gateway of sim drug racing. to sim racing. Like you heard it here first. <laughs> so do you think uh, you guys are able to kind of be a bit more balanced, reasoned, like um, kind of come at, come at sim racing from fairer perspectives because you've seen behind the curtain so you, you get to speak to a lot of people who work on these games people who especially yeah. the indie games that I've, I've got developed a new love for um in the last couple of weeks but being able to go out and speak to the people who are behind the art behind the physics you know the studio founders and does do you think that has changed how you think about games so that process mm. you've been through mm. since joining traction do you think that changes how you think about games compared to before you were attraction uh, definitely i think i always had an appreciation for game development but now i know a lot a lot more, a lot more how hard it can be uh there's so much money and these there's, there are teams behind certain bigger games that far far exceed the numbers you expect and a lot more planning goes into it and when things get uh delayed like let's say the rent spot beta that i saw mm-hmm. there was a lot of kickback to that but but ultimately there'd be even greater kickback if it came out and it wasn't up to standards oh, yes uh, which we've seen with some other games as well so i think um what we try and do as well, like you touched upon there, is actually speak and interview the developers and go to these events. So John was recently, I'm sure I'll touch upon in a minute, the ESL round in Poland. He was there. He was speaking to Morris, who's the CEO. And I was at recently, um, you know, it's, it might be seen as a slightly different game to a, a traditional sim racing title because it's got two wheels, not four. But Isle of Man, the next Isle of Man TT game is a simulator. And I did Milan and back in a day to get the interviews, to play the game, to get the footage, to get the thing, to do the social media posts, and seeing them in person and asking them why this and why did you do that? You know, for example, they were like, well, we haven't got VR because we've got an all new physics engine for this one. So we've only got so much people and budget. Mm, <laughs> so right, yeah, we have right, to prioritize right. things. Whereas, you know, before that, as a fan, you'd go, well, this doesn't have VR. I am not buying it. And fair play, that's your opinion. But there's also an element of trying to understand what goes into it. I'm sure John will attest to that when you're in Poland, right? With oh, with everything trying to go on there. One hundred percent. Being there in person and seeing the people involved, getting to know them, even just their their characteristics behind the scene. Because you you know a name and you think, oh, owner of a business or trying to make money, whatever it might be. When you actually sure. meet the people and speak to them, it's amazing how much passion and how everyone is just desperate to create the best thing possible within their own um you know capabilities. You know whether that's budget or the size of the team or resources, whatever it might be. People are desperately trying to make things as good as possible and when you hear the reasoning behind certain decisions and you just get to know people a little bit there's definitely a newfound appreciation for what they're actually putting out there you want them to succeed you want it to be as special as they hope and you also hear the reasons why certain things aren't the way that some people might think you know they should be um looking at an example 
I went, you know, the, the art of rally, which is a game I talk about a lot because I, I love it. I'm mm, passionate beautiful. about rally and it just looks beautiful. When I, when I it's... first heard of that game, it was before I was working with traction and I saw, I think Jimmy Broadbent did a video on it and thought, ah, oh, that looks all right. I wouldn't play it, but it looks, yeah, that looks fine. Since joining traction and since, you know, I've, I've, I've actually managed to speak to June a couple of times, which is the developer, the, uh, the man behind fun selector and Tom's interviewed him uh, as Thomas, this is on the, uh, the traction podcast <laughs> in the past as well. And getting to know his story and what he's like as a person and the effort and time he puts into this game and the love he puts into it makes me love that game so much more and appreciate so much more than I did beforehand. You know, this is an indie game with one guy who's got a very small team and just puts his heart and soul into it as much as possible. And then his character comes out for me in the game. And for mm. us, we're so fortunate to have that insight and be able to actually understand these things and speak to these people ask them questions that a lot of people will will never see or never hear for them it's just another game title in their steam library or in the shop that they're never going to pick up but you you feel invested in their story you want them to do well exactly the same with circuit superstars that game especially has been continually developed and gotten better Mm. and better since its launch and i just I, i i just feel so warm when i think about it because it's like these lovely people have put in a huge amount of effort to make this game as good as possible and uh and you definitely it changes your opinion for sure counter that with uh, we will always say if if something is not good uh, but we will always do it in a way that is uh justified and is constructive feedback i don't think mm-hmm. we'd ever publish anything that says oh well this is bad it's we didn't like this because this yeah, and this and this so- and the competitors do that and that so we do have to tr- we we are uh yeah the whole idea is trying to improve that games with constructive criticism as opposed to you know without justification and the second thing is um no that was the only thing i had <laughs> have you had, have you had <laughs> any particular challenges with that have you had any particular yeah, absolutely. Like, so uh, oh. there's been like a title where you're like how are we going to write about this but still show respect to the effort yeah. that's been put in even if you're completely just not interested in the game it, it's failed here here and here and you can't mm. understand anything any of the decisions they've made Oh yeah, there was one great example. I, I should be clear, obviously, and people people know this already, and we are open about it. We are part of a company called Motorsport Games, which is publicly listed on the Nasdaq, which the majority shareholder is Motorsport Network. So, who own Autosport.com and Motorsport.com, mm. and that's why we do writing for there as well as uh, traction. Mm-hmm. And obviously, one division is to run esports; another is to make video games. And obviously, the NASCAR Twenty One Ignition game what wasn't what we all expected and hoped it to be. And right. the company is very open and public about that. So for us, not a challenge at all to be, you know, we wrote um, a 2000 word polemic, my colleague Justin did, who's American, so, and I'm an NASCAR fan, so he should know about why this is not so good. Oh, well, this one element has potential and why that's not so great. And we publish it out there. Of course, people might think, well, you have to say something positive about it, but that's simply not true. So the, the only challenge there is actually mm. our per- people's perception of us. Mm. We actually have yeah. a, a great group of people it's a big team effort where we will all talk about it. We will all play it. We'll come from different perspectives. So even if one person's struggling, someone else will have a different viewpoint and we will always publish our honest opinions out there. I think the integrity of our writing is absolutely the number one key thing. I've said it six times already. I don't want to bang on that. Too hard. <laughs> so actually, so to answer your question, really, there's never really been a time where we've struggled with what to say uh individually because you know john will help out or ross or crystal or justin and we'll get it sorted it reminds me of a conversation i had with um florian hasper of vco so he was arranging um organizing uh obviously vco and um he also runs bs plus competition 
and so he would often have the the public say to him well how can you how can you maintain integrity with with vco if you've got a team that's competing in your competition surely they're going to know the tracks the cars the conditions well ahead of everybody else like how how can we yeah. possibly trust that this is fair and in the same way as you're a publisher that is very like publicly linked to a game yeah. you must have to really really scrutinize yourself every time you write about anything like you know indycar being delayed again yeah. like you know yeah how much do we want to splash about that is it something that we can just ignore or are people going to notice that you well, know race department and racing games.gg and overtake all did a story about how it's been delayed and oh look traction gg hasn't like do, like how do you manage that well i just want to say about that we did, and we did it like three or four days before everyone oh, else. Sorry, yeah, I should, I, should, we, I, should, I should say yeah, yeah. that was like a hypothetical <laughs> I know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That would never happen because here's the thing. We we listened to all – everything about that company is public because it's on the it's on the yeah. uh, stock exchange. It has to be. And it, it has to be, yeah. And we stay up and, at late at night and listen to the earnings calls, which are very dry. And we, <laughs> I can imagine. Our role is to report on everything from every game in the same way, pragmatically. And with facts. So even if it comes to recent maelstroms about alleged cheating or not cheating or hacks on sim racing, you may or may not seen we haven't really touched upon it because we can't prove it and we are not mm. in contact with the source direct. Yeah. Yeah. And so that point. is our philosophy on everything. So if EA or Codemasters comes out with a statement or allows us the opportunity to interview someone to get mm. comment, absolutely. But if it's just a, a, a knee-jerk response, that's fine for social media. Happy days, have at it. But it's our job to be pragmatic about everything. So when it comes to that IndyCar delayed, no, mm. but everyone wants an IndyCar game. No one wants it to be delayed. Yeah, no one wants yeah. another NASCAR 21 ignition, though, let's be real. So right. <laughs> we, we covered not just, oh, the game's delayed, but direct quotes from the CEO, from the earnings call that we stayed up late to listen for. So that's, and we do that for EA. We listen to every EA earnings call. Embrace mm. a group which owns Milestone and has just signed today as we speak a partnership with Straight 4 Studios for the GTR Revival game. So mm, I saw. And, I saw, I saw, and I saw Digital Brothers. <laughs> there we go, you see. Well, <laughs> we got a press release, so we're just quick to report on it. But yeah, um, so a lot of these companies are publicly owned and we just cover it direct. But that's what the CEO, that's what this person says. There we go. And if they say it, we, we publish it. Simple as that. So you're you're very much in the commercial world and it's not necessarily something you write about a lot is the, the commercial yeah. it's more about the games and whether they're fun and yeah. you know the people that the, the consumers want to want to read but just by nature of talking to the studio owners the ceos the founders all these people all mm. the time and, and you're getting press releases before anyone else and you know you're, you're going on these earnings calls and bits and pieces you're very much in that commercial world what has surprised you the most about the gaming industry and sim racing specifically what have you learned that you think has surprised you the most since you've kind of pulled back the curtain with traction Ooh. oh yeah i mean it's not surprising in a way i suppose it is there's just the vast sums of money that it takes to develop a game you know uh digital brothers who uh owns five or five games who publishes a set of course and owns kunos Simulazioni. you know their their reports are and I can't remember the exact specifics, so I'm not going to be quoted on that. But I did write them in the article, the traction.gg website, plug plug. And it was something, <laughs> it was in the, it was in the, oh, our well, profits are down tens of millions this quarter. And you look at why, and it's because they're developing a new set of course again. So it's not yep. so much that the games that they're selling at the minute aren't selling well, or mm. um, 
they're losing money hand over fist because everything's gone to pot. It's actually every penny that they've got is funding whatever's coming out next year. Yeah, and it's it, the normal normal yeah. flow of a studio that is developing yeah. franchises like that. You you have to go into yeah. a red mode on your budget sheet for a while in order to get that new game out. Otherwise, you're just yeah. kind of sitting stagnant. And, you know, we have Assetto Corsa for the next 50 years <laughs> at that point. <laughs> exactly. And then, and then the other thing is the cost of, of uh, track licensing and car licensing mm. and oh, that whole... Yeah, I can imagine. Oh, le- legal uh, mess there. Um when you hear people speaking about that, uh, I, I get the impression that uh, the pandemic was amazing for sim racing. Obviously, it's a terrible oh, yeah. thing for the humanity. Uh, one thing was there were all eyes on sim racing and racing esports, but it also meant real world track owners were like, huh, this is popular. Mm. Every new game is going to be three times more expensive to license a track. And I don't think necessarily yeah, yeah, yeah. the consumer can appreciate that, you know, when they say, why isn't this game got this track? Why isn't that game got this track? Why isn't this platform? They have to develop it, which takes time, but there might be a scenario where there's a clashing licensing com- conflict or you just don't have the funds available to license Fuji or whatever it might be. Right. That so makes sense. Are you saying then that games could, could and should be doing better at communicating to fans? You know, Maybe. What, hmm. you know, kind, of, kind of plugging that gap between what the fan has expected because they've watched certain YouTube videos, read articles, etc., and then the release date because it's like we were saying earlier with Rensport being delayed right there's that sliding scale between NASCAR ignition coming out very yeah. very soon and then you know like your skull and bones 12 years in the in the making yeah right of, of whatever like there's a sliding scale of when you release and obviously you want it to be yeah perfect like do you, do you think it, that the, the game studios need to do more it's not just the game studios is, is it it's the it's the publishers the investors the marketers they're all in this together, and it's a video game industry-wide thing of judging when's the right time to announce something and when is not the right time to announce something. Mm. So we just played, it's not a sim game in any way, but I just did a preview for LEGO 2K Drive, and that was completely secret apart from a couple of leaks, which we did not cover on the week before. Uh, until this, you know, March, so last mm-hmm. month, and it comes out in May, but it's taken five years to get to that point. So... That's a quite a good way of doing it. Yeah. But then the risk from 2K side is, well, this has cost X million dollars over 10 years and we've got a team of 300 people paid. Uh, we need to hype this for two years beforehand to guarantee we're going to get the sales and the pre-orders. Yeah. So, that, oh. yeah. That's it's a balance that I, that I don't know the answer to. Yeah. I, I really struggle with, you know, <clears throat> E3 was cancelled this year, so we won't see anything for that. But yeah. video game conferences in general, one of the biggest things that bugs me is like, They'll hype up this game that that you've maybe seen or maybe haven't seen. And they're like, oh, release date to be determined or to be announced. And you're like, why did you even show that? So that means it's at least three years away or four years away, right? Yeah. Right. It, it's, it's far enough in the future to where you'll forget about it before it releases and then remember, oh, yeah, I remember seeing that like five years ago mm. or whatever, right? <clears throat> it's... It's one of those things where I want to see the games that are coming out in the far future just because I'm a, I'm a gamer and I love all of that that hype and the excitement. But I'm also on the other side where I go, I don't want to see that at all until like it's a couple months out and I can be like, mm. oh, let's pre-order right now. It's going to yeah. be here. We're ready to play. Let's go. 
it's very so, hard. Oh, it's so tricky, isn't it? Such a tricky balance. Yeah. Like you, you, the marketing side of things, they're going to want their game to be, as you say, build as much hype and be people to be excited as possible about what's to come. And you want to, you know, if you've got some cool new features, you want people to know about it to make them excited. But then at the same time, you're balancing that with over promising and under delivering. You know, maybe Ugh. you hit a, 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 you know, a fork in the road or you hit a bump in the road, I should say, where you suddenly realize that there's a problem with this or this is going to need to take some time. And then you're already on the back foot because you've already said this is going to happen. And you'll notice very, a lot of the time at the moment, games are being delayed and sometimes it'll, oh, yeah. it'll be, you know, it'll be snuck out there that they were coming in this year and then maybe now, well, maybe it's next year, not make a big splash of it. And it's, it's such a tricky one because, you know, if you're a game developer and you're doing something really cool and something really, you know, new and unique, you're going to want people to know about it and know that you're on it and you're on the case. You, you know, you'd be sitting on this really exciting thing that you just want to be able to share with people and you can't uh, so it, yeah i can imagine like from, from mm. their perspective it must be so so tough sometimes having to hold back the knowledge like for for the lego 2k example imagine knowing you've been working on this really cool looking <laughs> lego racing game know, right, and not yeah, being able right, to say right. anything and what, what if someone turns around tomorrow and says they're doing the same thing with with another brand and then suddenly it looks oh, like you're following in their, the in worst their footsteps. nightmare <laughs> so yeah it must be very very tough i, I don't envy you're it like, a lot no, of the I, I promise we've been we've been working on yeah. it for a long time i promise i promise um I, what i find even more fascinating and it is the Rensport situation. And we won't go into this too much because we've actually got Morris on the show next week. So I kind of I want to ask a lot of these questions next week. But like they they've got this weird situation Fantastic. where the um game has been delayed, but they're still managing to put out the esports series, which obviously it it you know there's there's fewer requirements when you have small local LAN events as opposed to huge servers with potentially like Ten, hopefully tens hundreds of thousands of people waiting to get into to lobbies right. and bits and pieces like but i i want has there ever been an example of this before a game that hasn't like purposely launched as esports only so this isn't this is this wasn't meant to be an esports only title unless it was <laughs> oh. I, I, has it positioned itself <laughs> as the esports title by being esports only for a significant period in, in the minds of racing game fans because if that was oh. the plan it would feel like that's a really smart plan but they knew that they would get backlash from the gamers unless it was an accident <laughs> i think um right well there's a there's quite a lot to unpack with Rens Morton <laughs> and, ESL, yeah. one. and i've listened to your recent podcast and i think you, you mentioned it all you know a lot and i think that 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 typifies what the sim racing community is is feeling about this at the minute. That this is the the biggest story. It's it, it is huge, and but there are also a load of other really interesting sim titles on the way as well. Let's not forget mm. that. But uh, before mm-hmm. I dive into that, I think, well, John, you were there at the recent one. I was at the summit in May last year when they announced the game and stuff like this. You were there at the in, in Poland. What what are your impressions? I mean, Rensport for me is is a like a fascinating case study because it's gone about things in a totally different way to any games really we've seen has, before. Yeah. You know, and I I love the transparency. I have to say, they're, you know, they're making a big effort to communicate things, and you know, some, yes, things might be delayed at times, or you know, they're they're not able to please everyone from the community and able to give them a go. But they are trying their best to communicate that as much as possible, and they are getting the help of the esports drivers to come in and obviously help with physics and feedback and everything like that. But I can understand it's going to upset a lot of people. It's easy for me to sit there as someone who's got access to the beta 
and you know has spoken to the CEO and has been at the, the the first event to say, oh, this is really cool. But I'm not sat at my living room going, this is ridiculous. Why can't I play this game and give it a try when it's clearly there to right. be tried? So it's it, it's I see it 100 from from both perspectives, and I think they're trying something very very unique. They're testing it. They're basically airing out their dirty laundry in public. You know, if things go wrong, people are going to see it and people are going to be able to give feedback. But because no one's yeah. invested in it yet, no one's put the money into the game, they can find these problems, improve it, and then hopefully when it's ready to launch, there's no excuses. You know, if, if something's not right with it, it's like, well, you didn't tell us that. You know, they, they'll have a well-tested game that people have seen develop from the start. And I have to say, from trying it, it does feel in a good place already in terms of the physics and everything. I, I enjoyed my time with right. it. It doesn't feel like something in as early a stage of development as it seems to be. But I think they're just trying something very different. And there are always going to be negatives that come with that. But the general feeling for me is quite positive. If they can turn around a game that's well-polished and it's had all this work done at the early stage in public and people have seen the improvements they've made, they've seen that they've been listened to, I, I can't see it being a bad thing. People, but the problem is how, how patient are the sim racing you know, community? Because they, mm. they will want to try it. They'll see all their favorite drivers uh, doing the esports competition and they really want to give it a go. I think that's what Rensport want in a way. They want people to be watching this thinking, I want to do this myself. You know, you asked if there was another game that does that. And through this conversation, I remember the most recent Call of Duty did this. Now, it was a much shorter time frame because it was two months prior. So they were running content creator esports competitions for the for like a month before the game came out to build up more hype for the game. And then obviously it dropped a lot sooner than like Renford is at this point. But I wonder if uh, if more games are going to kind of go into that route where they're like, okay, let's test it with the 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 influencers and the people that can bring visibility to our game, and then release it to the public. It's an interesting way to go about it because it did make me want in the Call of Duty case. It it did make me want the game even more than I already did. So Rensport could be taking that same path where they're like, okay. We need the hype train to last as long as possible and teasing the beta and then delaying the beta is only going to do so much. Mm. Let's keep it in esports so that people are watching it, people are enjoying it, and then they're just continually riding that train up until we're finally ready. That's kind of interesting if you think about it. Tom, yeah. you opened up a can of words in yeah. my mind I've here. got another theory as well, but I'm going to let Tom go first. <laughs> All right, well, well, to, back to your point, Tom, where you were saying how, you know, has it positioned itself as like the esports platform? I think... There's, there's, there's quite a few uh, mechanics to this process. So Rensport is a sim racing platform that's that's due at some point soon. But I think ESL R1, which is the GT3-based esports competition that we're all referencing and, and watching, you know, that that's that's funded by, as far as I can tell, ESL. And ESL is an existing esports company that wanted a sim racing platform. So how that partnership came about, I'm not too sure, but it's... Yes, okay, Rensport, they're thinking maybe, and I don't want to put, put words in their mouth, okay, we're going to get some marketing right. benefit and exposure benefit to from this. It's a big risk if there's any errors with it, though. However, there's also this element that people seem to be overlooking that ESL also wanted to do this, right? And ESL's kind of yeah, running the esports competition. So um, there is a the, one of the slightly negative things, I think, at the minute is the perception of Rensport of being another ACC. Oh, it's GT3 cars and... But yeah, yeah, yeah. when you speak to them and when you've listened to their interviews and hopefully people can read some of the articles we've put on, on our website, um, from the offset, they've said it's not just GT3 cars. Mm, you know, they yeah, announced the yeah, electric yeah. Goodwood Hill Climb, Electric Mission R. I'm sure there'll be more announcements soon. But but let's be honest, this is a quite a while away, this game. 
So yeah. take, they're focused on those first because there was an agreement with ESL to run an esports competition. Of course. So, so yeah. um, they're kind of a little hamstrung from that point of view at the minute, but I'm sure we'll see throughout this year things that will alleviate that. And mm. what I'm really looking forward to is something that is uh, varied and, yeah, realistic, but the physics so far are quite approachable as well. So um, we also, John did a good interview with Morris actually at Poland, and we have an article about it where he's talking about the potential for console versions as well. I think that's mm-hmm. much needed for sim racing to grow. So I really hope oh, yeah. this time Definitely. this year there's there's a fully featured game with single player careers or whatever it might yeah. be. We'll we'll have to see. But I, I think it's um, fantastic to get the name out there with the esports ESL. It's good competition. It's good for esports to have another competitor. But it is. I think it's it's been typecast at the minute, and that's not fair. Well, I should say that to get just to kind of get my caveat out here is that I love Rensport, the concept of Rensport, what I've seen about Rensport, and how Rensport has has just exploded onto this sim racing scene. Yeah. I think it has elevated sim racing in a way that no other title has managed to. The fact that it is sharing the stage at ESL, you know, in the same arenas as as your kind of this is always a strange phrase to say, but traditional esports, like the fact <laughs> you know we're now sharing like the sim racing has now been elevated to a new level, and it, and now we get to kind of show off. This is what sim racing is about to other fans who would go and watch other esports. So <clears throat> I love it. I'm a, I'm an absolute fanboy of the whole concept. I think it's great, and I think and I really like how different it is. And I'm just trying to understand how it's all come about and again this is my last thing on Rensport because we're not going to talk about Rensport the whole time because we're doing that all next week but you can if you want. do they or do they not have the most qualified intensive comprehensive and broad set of testing teams putting this game through its paces right now in a way that no other game would be as in like you know you've got you've got esports teams with like engineers going into this game to look for every little exploit they possibly can like anything that could be found will be found by the fact that you have pro esports teams diving into it to see what they can do with it like they are going to learn a huge amount about this game uh, by doing this process oh and by the way you also get like a lot of viewers of the of the R1 tournament as well that's pretty handy like it's I think it's genius. I think it's absolutely genius. I think, I think it's difficult. They are learning a lot. Oh, on you go, Tom. On you go. No, no, no. Well, I was just going to say, yeah, before you jump in, John, I think they are learning a lot. I think it's really good to get the development, but it's worth noting that it's fixed setup and there's no changeable weather conditions. So uh, they're going to no learn a lot. damage from, model either? And there's no damage model. So it's step right. by step. And so once those are implemented, I think that's when the the real learning starts, if that makes sense. Mm, right. But they're in the room with the right people. Yeah. Oh yeah, who are yeah. hands on oh, yeah. is what I mean. The teams are there. That you know, they're, they're not they're not twiddling their thumbs between the races. That the, the team is going to be there talking to, as in the Rensport team are going to be there talking to all of the drivers, all of the, the oh, teams 1000%. around the drivers. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the drivers themselves they're they're not necessarily invested in Rensport. They're invested in their competition and winning these esports mm, half a million, and, and they also drive in <laughs> many different series. They're you know, they're invested in their in doing well for their team as well. And there's you know so for for the drivers' perspective, their frustrations come out when things aren't going their way. And I was there in Poland. Right. You know, if a driver was frustrated with uh, you know a particular way the car behaved over a curb or you know the BOP or whatever it might be, they they make their feelings very clear because it's such a high intensity competition, which is going to be really good because you are going to get genuine feedback from from these drivers, uh, and because they're they don't have any stake in the game other than themselves and the teams they race for you probably get a more balanced and fair and and real reaction to it and i think what one thing that's difficult for range to balance is 
they're, they're walking a tightrope between making something that's really entertaining for people who want to watch esports and and making things that works for ESL, uh, you know, a good show, versus creating a product that people that want a realistic sim racing title are going to want to jump on and drive mm. and feel like they're doing, mm. you know, something realistic. So yes, some one decision for physics or you know maybe the way the cars come into contact with each other, not bouncing off or not crashing in a certain way, might be better for the show, but might actually not be what people in the community think they want in a realistic sim so they, right. they've got a really really difficult tightrope to walk i think and uh, you know i can understand where tom's coming from i think they've done a, a great job with it so far but it, yeah it's going to definitely be telling when it actually comes to the people what they think because i think a few people have been quite frustrated with the lack of chance to actually try it as well and they've got to kind of balance that as well and, and give good reasons yeah. for why not so it, it's just a fascinating case study as i said at the start it's so interesting it and i'm really curious to see how it develops and it's going to we'll hopefully it's be there at the next one. So looking forward nice. to that. Well, that, nice. yeah, that'll be a lot of fun. And, and, it, and, it's, and it's interesting because you're right. There's, there's been a few podcasts now where Rensport has come up because it is a talking point for sim races, and it, which is great because it's exciting Absolutely. and it's new. And, you know, we make no apologies for it. It's, it's fun. Um, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a big fan because I think a lot of stuff that Rensport is, done, that is, is doing is making us question and analyze other other bits of the sim racing world. Oh, yeah. As a, as, a, as a huge sim racing nerd, I absolutely love. But... Rensport is a lovely segue onto crashy laps. Um, so, I've been, <laughs> <laughs> been looking for you. Some of those people reading the website today. Yeah, so you, you know, we look, we've got crashy laps, tray races. There's, yeah, yeah. you do a lot of fun games, right? But I'd like to, I'd like to kind of like use these as an example to dive into your process at Traction GG because a lot of people listening will consume a lot of content. But I'd like to kind of just quickly kind of go through the mechanics of what this looks like. So let's take crashy laps, right? From the email landing in your inbox or the the, the phone call or the meeting somebody at an expo, like talk yeah. us through the stages of like, you realize that this game existed. You then decided that you wanted to cover it. Does the team get together and decide who's going to do what? How, what, what's your approach to testing? And then you like, I, I want to know the full, <laughs> like, how does this, how does oh, the content how long that we, the, right. So when we're on the toilet scrolling through and we read your crashy laps in about two minutes <laughs> and then we're on, and then we're on to the next thing, right? I, I want to know the story behind it, right? Tell, tell us how it happens. Oh, it's not particularly exciting. Sorry. Uh, no, we, uh, <laughs> there's, there's several different methods. Um, one is, uh, Hopefully people have heard of us and they send you an email, PR company or, or game dev. Uh, the uh, Crashy Laps, for example, you know, that's by one person, I believe. This is an upcoming indie game that we're talking about. And it, uh, we spotted that on Twitter. And then oh. from there, we do research. We might contact them. We might ask if there's a press release. In this case, there wasn't. There's a Steam landing page there's images we can yeah, use that's one you, guy you, he's like press yeah. release yeah <laughs> so you direct message he's, he's got a direct message on, yeah. right. so you, you message people that there are many other examples uh on on, Twitter, on social media and linkedin or whatever it might be so i did a, an article about um a small indie game yeah what was it tray races also this morning uh, that was uh, a pr representative sent me a twitter message but oftentimes it's an email in our inbox but there's also a huge element of us outreaching as well. So if a game gets announced and it's not via press release, but it's um, you know, it's on their social media feeds, it's, it, let's say it's the new MotoGP game, for example, uh, which is a big game for us to cover this year, then uh, I would immediately find out 
which PR company is uh, working on that particular title, or is it the publisher direct, or is it a freelancer that's working on it? So you have to do a lot of Googling, a lot of LinkedIn searching, things like this. Send an email, introduce yourself, explain what Traction is, what it's about, how many visitors it's got, how many followers it's got, what we can do, can we have an interview, can we do this, can we do that? So there's a lot of um, emails sent and messages sent to try and get right. these opportunities. So I think that at, at no point ever are we complacent. Uh, as a team, we are constantly looking for new games that we might see pop up on the Steam website or on social media, but it's also a lot of uh, email work, which is really dry. But there's a lot, there's <laughs> just as a much... a little bit about, the, about that kind of stuff. It's <laughs> <laughs> all, like, all I do. <laughs> there's just as much work goes into the outreach than there is writing the article. Mm. And getting that scoop or uh, getting on that list to that preview event because there's only 10 people there and you, you've got to make right. sure that traction's on it. So uh, there's a huge amount of work that goes into that. Then when we have these opportunities, then John uh, will feed in, you know, is this video worthy or not? We, we can't put everything on the YouTube channel. The algorithm works in weird and wonderful ways. So our aim for the website is to make sure we cover as much as we possibly can. Hardware, software, sims, updates, DLC. But we're ultimately, we will prioritize as a team on the writing side. There's, there's Crystal, like I say, there's Justin, there's Ross and myself, plus some freelancers. And we will, we've got a little Teams chat. Right. Oh, is this newsworthy or not? Is this a story okay. or not? Okay. And <clears throat> then from the videos team, and John will attest to this, I'm sure, you know, then it's a decision that John has to make along with the Osley and the other video members to, are we going to make a video? Is this, is this good angle? Is that fair, John? Right, right. Yeah, absolutely. I think from our perspective, you know, we start the week with a few different things. So we may have a hardware, um, you know, new steering wheel or something that we're being sent to us and we're reviewing. So, so we're kind of combining um, original ideas. So essentially, in a way, similar to Tom, we're, we're writing features, we're writing scripts that we want to turn into videos, whether it's our own passion projects or whether it's something that we think would be an interesting topic to research and write about. So we do our own scripts for some videos and we also have, um, separately from that, the editorial team that Tom manages who will provide us with stuff so they'll go okay this is happening next week this new game's coming out or we're, we're going to write an article about everything that's, that we know already about the new forza game do you think this is video worthy and we'll, we'll have a quick chat between us and we'll make a decision on, as to whether or not you know is this something we want to cover in the youtube channel do we have the resource for it because we're often tied up with getting the, the videos we're currently doing out of the way or reviewing hardware which can take a long time to to go through the whole process uh, and oh, we, yeah. we, we make that decision based on the resources we've got available and and go from there so you will see a mixture of you know editorial based stuff like game reviews that tom's written he's captured the game as he's played it he's he's written everything about it we'll then take the script do a voiceover uh, and then get some additional capture if we need to and obviously edit the video in the background we're working on our own original projects as well so you know for example if i have a, a particular passion about an old game i might write an, a retrospective about it and what i like about it or if there's a new update okay. for for an existing sim if it's interesting enough and i think enough people will want to know about it i'll maybe go and give it a try and, and give my opinion so we definitely have a a balance of things to be doing from a video side as well our ultimate aim is to try and cover everything but yeah we literally can't do that <laughs> of course of course so when it comes to trying to cover everything and then also passion projects versus versus you know the big giant projects or what's it like working with an individual developer for something like crashy labs versus someone like microsoft when you have to get in touch with them for creating content oh. well um this is just, I'm generalizing here. This is not always the case. Yeah. Um, but firstly, you generally won't deal with Microsoft. You deal with their appointed PR agency. And they can change on a yearly, monthly basis. So 
unfortunately, <laughs> you can build a relationship up and then that person moves on. But then they might work you on another game. A reply of, I no longer work with these yeah, people. Or right. So you almost have to start again and pitch the whole thing again. Uh, but that, that's, if you don't do that, you're not going to get the game for review or get the interview. Uh, and then also there's the element of, but that person might move on. They might move on to a different project. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, the Lego 2K drive thing came about because someone who worked on, and we'll go back to it again, the Square Enix side of Superstars moved to 2K, knew that we did some good work, kept in touch. Okay, we got hmm. one of the few publications that weren't nice. massive IGN size to do the Lego game. So it's things like like this. Um, and also, just generally, when, when you might speak to uh, an indie dev, you speak to that, that, that person direct. Most of the time, but right. not all the time. Um, also, like with a smaller indie game, they might, like a team of five people might make it, but to get it on other platforms, they might employ a porting agency yeah, whose yeah, job yeah. is to make the Switch version or make the PC version if it was first on PlayStation or vice versa. So then then you have to work out who that is <laughs> getting contact with them and all that. But there's, there's no real difference in terms of always professional, always got the, the, the stats ready, uh, always... Timely. Which one do you prefer to work with? Do you prefer big studios or small indie devs? Oh, we, oh <laughs> this is really boring to say. I don't mind either. Like it's it's really ultimately we care about the game and all the same. Oh yeah. So um, as long as we get responses via email and it's all cordial, then you know, happy days. <laughs> yeah. I mean, just just quickly as well, slightly, slightly on a tangent, but in terms of like deciding what we cover, I think one thing we do a lot of is esports race reports, as if they're real world racing. Because mm-hmm. we're trying to legitimize the space. I mean, it already is legitimate, but try and make it more professional than ever. And right. we know on the analytics, they are not the most read things mm. that we do. Like if we wanted to make yeah. a load of money, we'd just do how to look in, how to engage reverse in Forza Horizon Five, right? So <laughs> we, you'd, you'd we, be surprised. We, yeah, you'd be, yeah. <laughs> uh, so like all of us on the team, plus James Kirk, who is a, a freelancer. Do, you know, we have to watch the full race. You have to write the report, get the results, capture the images. Yeah, a lot of time and effort for a medium amount of uh, reads, but we feel that it's important to grow the space, make it more serious, more professional. And I think the drivers and the sponsors and the teams like to see their names being mentioned when they win a race. Oh yeah, mm. yeah. It's the same. It's the same reaction that I had when I saw Sim Sundays in the article on Traction GG. I was all okay, excited, shared a, yeah. shared a screenshot with my family and stuff. I'm like, oh look, it's my podcast. <laughs> it was. It, it's exciting to see your name in lights, if you will. You know, it's just one of those things that's really cool. It's also so good a lot of these grassroots communities getting that exposure. It's pretty cool. But not even the grassroots communities. Uh, you know, the bigger esports series. The fact that. They, the, the series organizers can turn around to sponsors and say, this is the yeah. reach we can get give you because last time yeah. we got X number of people on Traction GG and this outlet and that outlet and this outlet, it gets covered here, here and here. These were the YouTube, like you kind of add to sim racing's appeal to sponsors, which means there's now more budget and more appetite to put on more bigger, larger events. You're doing God's work, basically. Well placed. <laughs> yeah, I think we, we would like to do more of this, let's say smaller and community-based series. We just need to reach a tipping point where we have got the time and resource available to do it. Oh, yeah. Or, or, you yeah. Know. So I, I might be saying this and someone might be listening going, well, you didn't cover X, Y, Z. You didn't cover ours. Yeah, yeah, right. But, but yeah. We, we do cover more than most. 
So it's a frustrating limitation it. sometimes, isn't it? When you have, you know, we've got all coming around in one week. We have you know, two new games, and this randomly we find out news yeah. that the yeah. F1 game is announced when it's launching, or or this indie developer yeah, right. gets in touch, or we have a steering wheel that we've promised to review this month, um, also needing you know filmed and written and, and edited. So resource management is a huge part of our job as well of of just prioritizing things but not just prioritizing the same things every time you know we've got to keep a balance so sometimes you might need to make something that gets less views that that is engaging for for the people watching or informative or a guide versus something that might get lots of clicks but not actually help us you know build something meaningful and it's a constant balance that we're, we're trying to we're trying to just you know cover all of these things in a in a in a safe way but it's uh, it, that's probably one of the big challenges is resource management and just to reiterate right. it's a huge team effort you know me and john are here talking and we're saying a lot of oh we did that but it's it's that you know we're just conductors and they're working away right we, now we're the, just talking yeah, to you guys. yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> as much as we really enjoy this this is an hour and a half not writing articles so right. that, that, we have to consider that you know well it's it's an honor that you're here <laughs> Sorry, yeah, definitely. Like Thank you. Jeez, uh, we gotta go now. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so, as sim racers, do you find? Uh, I think your answer is going to be a little different, John, than Thomas's necessarily. But do you find that you sim race less for pleasure than you you did before you got into the sim racing industry? I know Tom and I both. We went through a time where we're like we're building Grid Finder, but we're not doing. We're barely sim racing anymore, just because we're always focused on building this new product instead of racing. Um, I've made a massive effort to schedule my racing during the week now. So I just, I always race at the same times during the week, but how often do you guys get to sim race for fun, not for necessarily an article for traction? You go first, Tom. Oh, um, yeah, it's definitely less the last, last couple of years with work traction. But on the flip side to that, you, you know, you, you do get to play sims during the day. So you know, I have to run some laps. Dang it. Yeah, yeah. But you do come at it from a different angle. So mentally yeah. it's it's different. And for, um for, yeah, yeah. On a weekend then, like uh just yesterday I was trying to get some licenses on uh iRacing and failing miserably. And you, you do think of it as a different way. Oh well yeah, but what if the, is that part of the UI correct? And uh what was going on with that crash physics, you know. In some ways, yeah. you could might argue it ruins it, but it, it doesn't. We st- I think all of us on our team we're still attraction because we still love sim racing at the end of the day. So. Very nice for for sure. My for me, there's been a big shift, and it's it's I found it fascinating actually because when I first started with traction, I'd been doing especially through lockdown from from all the things that happened with COVID nineteen. I've been doing a lot more sim racing, and I've been competing at a high level in a set of course of competizione, doing SRO championship and all sorts of you know with the sim grid world cup and all of these things for a for a professional sim racing outfit, and then. What I found is when I first started working with Traction, ACC was therefore the game I knew the most about because I'd race at a, in a competitive level. So I could write all yeah. these guides for how to go around each track and how to nail your pit stops or how to perfect wet weather driving, all these kind of things. And the interesting thing is you'd think I'd play more racing games now that I'm working with Traction, but I actually feel in a lot of ways that I know less about certain games because we're trying to cover so many <laughs> okay. different things. So my That's my true. job is not just to to be an expert at ACC anymore. My job is to, you know, show off some the new content that's coming out on ACC and then maybe talking about a different game or or reviewing this steering wheel. Or, and I actually find that 
in a, in a weird way, and it's going to sound bad, but I almost know less about certain games now than I did before because I'm I'm covering no, a sense. wider range of things. And when I go and you know play ACC at work, for example, I'm not playing it to to be able to learn about it and get the most out of it. I'm actually playing it to produce the content. So it might be that I'm trying to film a video about, um, say, the pit stop example. I'll go on there and I'll spend two hours just doing lots of pit stops to capture for the video. And I'm ticking <laughs> off, you know, I'm almost doing a tick box exercise. So oh, we need a good shot of an overtaking to turn two at Paul Ricard, or I need to show that a wet line you know loses you time on turn three and I'm, and I'm not playing the game for my own enjoyment i'm playing to provide a good capture that looks nice in the video and then when i yeah, get home from, from work and we've got all this amazing equipment here um that we've obviously reviewing hardware i get home from work and I, i've got my pc in the spare room up on the desk with a g29 uh, strapped to it and i just don't necessarily want to do more of that and i, and I think you know what i'm gonna no, i'm gonna sense. go sit in yeah. the living room sit in the sofa and uh, i'm gonna play something with my partner on the switch or maybe i'll play forza horizon on a controller and just unwind because it can be very intense a lot of a lot of playing racing games and it's it's hard to find the time to you know pursue a hobby like professional esports because the la you know if i've been working all day on the sim if capturing for a set of course competizione the last thing i want to do is go home fire up a set of course competizione right. and do a hundred <laughs> laps of the same track over and over again to do an esports event because you know it's it's not that simple so i still love my sim racing and i do it for fun but i don't have the capacity in the same way that i did before that i don't miss it as much because i do it all the time anyway and in a different way so it's definitely changed sure. for me yeah i don't think that anyone would argue the fact that turning your hobby into your job eventually makes it so that your hobby is not as appealing to you anymore I, I definitely can see can see that happening in many different aspects of life. I wouldn't change it for the world, though. It's definitely <laughs> yeah. oh, oh, no, yeah. you know, no way. Yeah, is it work to live and live to work and blah blah blah? blah. This is definitely yeah, whole... this is definitely the right way around. And every single day, yeah. I realize that I'm very lucky to get up and just do exactly what I want for with a group of people that are all doing what they want because because they can because we've got this opportunity to, to build something in an area that it's sim racing it's gaming like it, it, it's it, it's a bit cliche isn't it that, like your teachers when you're a kid say you can't spend your whole life playing games so it's like well okay well, that, well now, now they are technically now they're, they're still that's yeah. like they are <laughs> like that's not all we do but you can immerse yourself in it all day every day and that is you know a route now which is which is absolutely yeah. great um yeah. but guys thank you so much for your time um, That's all I'm right. Very conscious now. You've said that you know you've got an hour and a half where you haven't been writing <laughs> articles, so um, <laughs> the, the, the pressure has been on for the last it ten minutes. Just... Make some high quality content. I want to keep talking. I want to. Uh, there's another hour we can cover on this, so we're gonna have to well, come I back feel like... do part two. I feel, well, I was about to say, I feel like with the four of us, like you just just put like a put, put like a problem statement in sim racing in the middle. And then just we could record a podcast for two hours. Like, I racing versus ACC. Go right. Okay, we could do that for another hour if, like, oh, yeah. like if we wanted to. So it's been it's been great having you on, and it's been it's been really uh, tricky to try and cover as much stuff as possible because I think we're the sort of people that can dive very very deep into every single one of the elements that we've spoken about today. But I think we've done a, a pretty good job at kind of covering a broad variety of subjects. But John, maybe maybe part two is the way forward. We'll, we'll do we'll do another well, we'll do another part. Will you guys be at Sim Racing Expo 2023? Maybe we can do a live podcast where we're all in the same room together. We would love to do that, and we are planning TBC. But we were there last year, nice. and I don't see why we wouldn't do it. We've just not booked anything yet. Insomnia on Friday? Yeah, we will have to keep in touch. Oh, sorry? Are you going to Insomnia on Friday? No. Should I have oh, okay. been? 
I went I went last time and there was some there was some sim racing going on. Is there there? were some sim racing ah. games. A track racer was there, so I'm I'm going down with uh with a oh, nice. good finder team and we're gonna meet Johan, who is the crazy, crazy Dutch dude that runs, yes, we've, <laughs> runs we've the we've European side of track <laughs> yeah. racer. He's a lot of fun. Uh so Fantastic. yeah. But guys, thank you very much. Thank you very much for your yeah. time. Thank you so much. Well, no, listen, uh, a pleasure. Thank you very much. We wish Gridfinder all the best with your future plans. And just generally for the sim racing community, there's a lot of exciting stuff coming straight for studios. What the heck is Kunos doing next? Obviously, Red Sport. Any of this? <sighs> what? Like, there's so many. I wanted things. to go to GTR Revival. <laughs> GTR <laughs> Revival. All right, uh, what's EA doing with the WRC license? All this stuff. So oh, um, yeah, hopefully, man. people can read about it on Traction. And in Juroka, yeah. we could talk about Juroka as well, Tom, because I know I've oh, done yeah, a race with, with uh, Tobias before in, in that. So yeah, yeah, we need, we we absolutely did a part two, but it's 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 been a lot of fun, and thank you for having us. And I, I personally really I love what Gridfinder do because as someone who's been league sim racing since I was twelve years old, trying to find a, you know finding a, a community that works for you and you get on with people mm. and is a good competition level has actually changed my life. Like since I met a lot of people I did ten years yeah. ago, we're in the same or even twelve years ago. We're now a lot of us are working in sim racing and we see each other. At all these events i'll bump into them in poland or and we're all working for it's different people cool. all because of a community that i picked up from a sim racing league from a from a shared passion so what you guys are doing is is facilitating that for a lot of people so i just want to say thank you oh, it's, it's well, been a pleasure yeah no thank you well thank you and and guys as soon as we hit stop record let me show you something very cool that we'll be, oh, okay. that, that we're building. <laughs> anyway. You'll get the exclusive yeah. off, yeah. off the recording. Yeah, yeah no traction. Yeah. I'm, I'm typing away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, be careful, Tom. They're a media outlet. Uh... <laughs> well, Go thank ahead. you, guys. Um, that'll do it for this episode, but uh, we'll be talking to you soon for part two. Thank you. Goodbye. Welcome back, guys. I hope you enjoyed that episode as much as we did. Tom. That was an amazing interview. What do you think? I feel like if we were in a pub, we would we'd be there for hours and hours and hours putting the shutting the, it down, like, get out of here, the sim racing world to <laughs> to rights. Yeah, it was uh, it was great. It was great chatting to them. You know, obviously there's four of us, um, so we all had a lot that we wanted to to chip in with. In fact, we have done one other episode with four of us, and that was the Circuit Superstars. That was uh, the yep. two brothers, which is interesting because we spoke about Circuit Superstars quite a lot. Um, I did enjoy their love for the um, indie games. Um, yes. We also spoke about Rensport a lot. It's interesting hearing their theories. It was just, it was just really nice chatting to two people that just love it as much as we do and just have this broad perspective of the sim racing world because often we'll talk to you know, um, SimiCube and it was, you know, it was about th their kind of segment of the market, which is the higher end market. Right. So it's AC, it's iRacing and it's all things hardware. Or, you know, we spoke to Aris when it was all about Assetto Corsa. Um, or we've had like Chris Hay, where it's like, it's, it's content and Dave Cam, where it's about content creation. Whereas I feel like when you speak to Traction GG, because they're kind of commentators on the whole of sim racing, we yeah, got to yeah. approach it from a very broad perspective and we could touch a little bit of everything and i think um john was right we need a we need a part two uh, we need oh, to make yeah. a list yeah. we need to agree a list of things because <laughs> i want to speak about gtr revival because that game looks awesome um and we didn't we didn't even touch it and in an ea and a set of course of two and yeah it was great. It might end up being a three-part series. Who, who knows? Maybe we should make it a regular thing. We'll do like a quarterly show. So many, yeah, a quarterly show we'll with traction just panel. to go over. Yeah, <laughs> right. Well, hopefully you guys enjoyed that as much as we did. Thank you for watching and listening. As always, if you're looking for a sim racing league to race on any night of the week or specifically on AC, ACC, any of the games that are out there, go to gridfinder.com. 
find that perfect lead on that perfect night for yourself. Or if you're a league owner, go ahead and list your league on there and, you know, fill your grids so that you're not, you know, empty or missing some people on that grid start. Other than that, we'd like to thank our episode sponsor, Track Racer. Thank you, as always, for being with us for the whole entire beginning of this podcast. We are at 42 episodes in now, which kind of feels amazing. We're almost at that 50 number, which maybe we should do something extra special for 50, Tom. We definitely need to do something there. But uh, listen on all your favorite podcast services, and we always appreciate you being here. But that'll do it for this episode. Thank you very much. Bye. Bye.